You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 203, Modems. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is May 21st, 2021, and I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about modems. That's a good thing to be talking about because right now I have to use a modem right now to download this week's show notes. So while I'm downloading those at 300 baht, I'm stuck at 300 baht on this thing, that'll give us lots of time to talk during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I hope you've had a great week. I've had a couple of great weeks. Um, you know, the, I'll tell you the first thing that's on my mind. This is not um, not technical in nature, but um, we we moved to this house, the house that I live in now. We moved here. Um, gosh, it's been two and a half years ago now, and we. Um, we live less than a mile away, and due to um, some changes in the school district and and um, changes in uh, what we wanted in a home, you know, we wanted to to um, uh, not downsize, right size. <laughs> we wanted to right size uh, our house, and we wanted to to swap out some, uh, you know, get a smaller house and a bigger yard so that we could do more stuff and put in a pool and put in. A, you know, backyard shed and all that stuff. And, and all those are, all those dreams are coming true. But, uh, when we were looking for houses, we found this house, which is, um, basically on a cul-de-sac. I'm, I'm three. I mean, there's two houses between me and the end of the neighborhood and it's a, a dead end street and it's just super quiet, you know? And when we looked, we, we sat outside and uh, we even came back as at my old house, I had this neighbor that was, um, just got on my nerves <laughs> and he would sit in his driveway. He had this big loud truck and he would sit in his driveway. I don't, I don't think he smoked in his house. So he would go out there and start his truck and turn the radio up and smoke in his truck. And I could hear it from inside my house. I could hear his truck. I could hear the stereo. And this guy's older than me. It's not like it was a kid. It was like an old man out there just cranking up, revving up his truck and smoking. And oh, it was just annoying. You know? So when we came over here, I was like, Oh, this house is, so quiet. This area is so quiet. <clears throat> and um, uh, about a week ago, I walked out the front door and I saw a bird fly right over my front door. And we, there's a little like brick ledge above uh, my front door and, and the bird landed up there. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And uh, he looked at me. I looked at him. I was like, you know, live and let live. You could stand up there. You know, I came back four hours later, and there's a giant nest and two birds and eggs in the nest. I was like, what What did I just let happen? Why did I run this bird off? So, like, we literally can't go out our front door right now. Because when you go out there, now there are baby birds in this nest. And mommy and daddy birds sit up there. And when you walk out, they just fly in circles and just screech. And even if you try to sit on the front porch, they just... 
you know, flying around in circles. Sometimes they get on the, they sit on the little, there's a ledge on the, on the front porch and they sit there and they just rah, 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 until you leave. So I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll go sit on the back porch. Well, I go back there and I see that there's a, a different nest made by, um, barn swallows, which barn swallows are butts. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with barn swallows, but they will like, um, just dive at you and attack you. So now I'm like stuck in the house. <laughs> I have to go out through the garage. Uh, but the birds just at both ends of the house, just walk, 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 you know, uh, which is not that big of a deal. And then, uh, over the past few weeks, I've noticed that uh, it must be golfing season all of a sudden because the neighborhood next to ours, even though you can't drive through the cul-de-sac, there's a path where you can drive a golf cart through. And now like right in front of my house is just golf cart central. The other day I counted like 20 golf carts that went by and they're not even the quiet battery ones. Uh, you know, they they sound like four wheelers. They go up and down the street. I sound like an old man, don't I? And so now I got the golf carts, you know, and so this morning I woke up and I sat down here in my office and my window faces the street and it sounded like there was an engine out there, like somebody revving their car. And after about 15 minutes, I was like, what is going on? And so I went outside. I went out the front door. And then I got dive-bombed by the birds. And <laughs> I had to run past the birds. And behind, so the house across the street behind their house is a oil well, which has never moved. And when we, when we bought this house, the realtor was like, that is an abandoned well. Nothing's ever going to happen. And I mean, this has been in the last eight hours. They have built a 50 foot tower over the oil well. And there's motors making things go up and down like these giant hooks. Like they're, I, I guess they're getting ready to drill. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, my, and my only hope is that maybe that runs off the birds. I don't know. My, uh, my quiet little, uh, peaceful spot here at the uh, end of the cul-de-sac is slowly going away. I'm going to have to, um, I don't know. I'm thinking about building a uh, <clears throat> something to go over the window, like a padded thing. I don't think um, any of the noise you'd be able to hear while I'm podcasting. But um, if that happens, I'll have to do some more sound deadening in here. But gosh, I sure enjoyed the two and a half years of quiet while we had it. But what are you going to do? I guess life uh, life moves on. Uh, I wanted to take a moment, uh, you know, I always uh, thank my, my Patreon supporters and, and, um, I know sometimes people and people have different reasons. Like I support different shows on Patreon and sometimes I would say for the most times, I don't care what people do with the money. You know what I mean? Like I go, Hey, you're doing a cool show. I'd like to support you. Here you go. You know, but when, when somebody tells me what they did with their Patreon funds, especially if it's related to the show, I always think that's kind of interesting. And so uh, boy, I've been having uh, just a, a devil of a time recently on a couple of different things. One is going to, when I do my Twitch streams, sometimes like I can't get my cameras to work or I can't get my capture card to work. Um, and it's all in OBS, but uh, you know, these things work individually, but when you put them all in OBS all at once, they don't seem to work. And I've also had trouble using my camera with Discord. You know, I do the Saturday night, I participate in the ARG um, uh, gaming, where we all get online and we game and we all turn our cameras on. And I'm the only guy that my camera doesn't work, you know, and I feel dumb. I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, maybe maybe you just don't know how to do it. I'm like, I stream on Twitch. I know how to do it. I'm not dumb. I'm just dumb. 
<laughs> I just can't make it work. This is not me. I'm an IT guy. I've been doing co- computer support my whole life, you know, and so now I'm frustrated. And uh, so what I ended up doing was uh, I made a couple purchases, and it was a good chunk of my my uh, Patreon funds for the month. But I bought – well, when I started looking at issues and I was trying to track down issues – I thought, well, maybe some of my, my, like, maybe it's a, a USB, some sort of issue, you know? And th- because that's what it felt like. It felt like maybe I had too many, I don't have that many USB things plugged in, but maybe I had too many plugged in. And so, um, I, you know, I, I got the, the online, I found the manual for my, my computer that I bought forever ago and was looking at the, you know, the, how many USB parts. And I, I noticed, on the back of my PC, there's four USB ports and then two. So it's four on top and two on the bottom. Well, I never really paid attention, but the top four are USB 3.0 and the bottom two are USB 2.0. And I think I just plugged in, I've got these hubs and I just plugged them in willy-nilly and plug things into that. And then on top of that, I just noticed that my hubs are USB 2.0. So even the 3.0 devices that I have uh, were going through 2.0 hubs and and uh, so it was just kind of a mess. And so I bought um, two different USB 3 hubs, and they're like big old mamma jamma hubs. They've got um, uh, seven live ports and then four charging ports. And every port has a little power button next to it, so you can enable and, and disable each port individually instead of having to plug and unplug things all the time. And, and I plug those into separate USB 3.0 Huh, or uh, um, ports on the back of the machine. So now I've got USB 3 hubs going to USB 3 ports. And I uh, rerouted my camera. I unplugged all my cameras and, and hooked things up. Now my cameras, to be honest with you, are, are USB 2.0. Um, but I plugged them into to different hubs, you know. And then I plugged my capture card into a different hub as well. Uh, and then I plugged in the uh, USB 2 hub which I didn't really need this for my keyboard and mouse and stuff, but but my uh, tower's on the floor, and it's a pain in the butt to crawl down there and plug and unplug things all the time. So I used one of those USB 2 hubs and uh, ran it to the, the 2.0 port, and I plugged in my, my keyboard and mouse and a couple other things there, and everything is working perfectly. <laughs> it's basically fixed all my issues. I'm super happy. And so, uh, I mean, that's going to improve my streaming. That's going to improve... Um, you know, all the stuff that I do with the recording and stuff. So that has really helped. And the other thing I got was I doubled the RAM on this computer. Um, I've been running at 16 gigs of RAM for gosh, five years on this machine. And I, I upgraded it to 32. Uh, you can get, um, another 16 gigs of RAM for a little over 60 bucks. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I was having trouble running multiple things like audacity and, a soundboard and, you know, all these websites and Google Chrome with uh, Google Docs open and all this. And uh, now it's all, everything's working beautifully again. And so uh, I just wanted to say uh, thanks again to uh, all my Patreon supporters and stuff. And so um, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, you're just uh, throwing money into the wind. It actually does (laughs) go to improve the show and it goes to to make things better. And I do, um, appreciate it. 
The other thing I was going to talk about that I had on my list was the great Nintendo game sale. Now, I've talked about this on Patreon and a couple other places. So, uh, in fact, I wrote a blog post about it. So you may have heard this, and I won't go into big details. But uh, um, <clears throat> years ago, I got into collecting uh, NES cartridges. And um, the, the irony of this was that I didn't really care about the original Nintendo. That wasn't really my... Um, generation. I mean, it was, but I started with the Atari and then I moved to computers, you know, so I had uh, the Apple, then I had the Commodore. So when my friends were like, hey, I got a Nintendo game for Christmas, I was like, great, I downloaded 10 Commodore games last night and I'm going to down download another 10 tonight. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it forever. So, um, you know, the the accessibility to free software outweighed any quality difference between um the nintendo and, and the commodore 64 for me anyway and so um <clears throat> I, I was never really into the nes i bought one because i got it pretty cheap uh when uh, super nintendo and sega genesis came out and my had friends and co-workers by then who were getting rid of their old systems so uh i, I bought a nes uh for a hundred dollars and it came with 30 games which was a pretty good deal back then you know two games uh, could well three games would definitely be over a hundred dollars. So it, you know it was a good deal. And uh, uh, so anyway, it wasn't until um, later I, I started hanging out on some uh, video game forums and stuff, and uh, I kind of got the collecting bug uh, as it related to to video games. And I remember there was a, a part of Blockbuster called Game Rush, and they started carrying games. It was to compete with GameStop, and then it went out of business a couple of years later. And I started driving around because they were having sales, and they put all their NES games on sale for $0.99 cents each. But then they had one weekend where it was buy two, get one free. <laughs> it was ridiculous, you know? And um, I ended up buying hundreds of NES games. I had this... Um, a list that I kept on my Palm Pilot <laughs> and I would go and I would mark which ones I had and didn't have, you know, and, and so I ended up buying like over a weekend, a couple hundred NES games and uh, I played some of them, but I didn't play most of them. And, and um, literally they've been sitting, you know, I put them on shelves, I displayed them and I stacked them this way and that way. And, and um, people came over, they're like, that's a lot of Nintendo games. I'm like, oh, I know it's a lot. Um, but you get over it after a while. And then, it, you know, when you fall out of love with something like that, now it's just something that takes up space. Like I would look at my shelves and go, well, I could put books there, but I really can't because I have 250 Nintendo games. And so eventually they went to, you know, into a storage tub and they probably been in storage. Um, I mean, not 20 years, but 15 years off and on, you know, Every now and then you pull them out and put them on a shelf and then you put them back in the tub. And uh, they definitely were in the tub the whole time I lived at our last house, which was uh, about seven years. And they've been in that same tub the whole time I've been at this house. So I'm like, you know, I haven't touched these things in 10 years. And I just woke up one day and was like, I think I can part with this stuff. You know, um, I've talked about it before, but immediately to my left, you know, right here next to me, I've got the mister. I've got a raspberry Pi. I've got my PC in front of me. I've got, um, you know, other things around here that will play Nintendo games. Like, I just don't need those original cartridges anymore. 
And um, so I started putting them on eBay, and I've been putting them on eBay. And um, mostly what I've found is that the the common ones are not really selling, um, but the ones that are slightly more rare uh, do sell. I mean, I have a lot of games that are, are listed for 5 to $10, and they're not moving. And then I found a copy of Tecmo Super Bowl, and the last copy of that sold for about $50. So I put mine up for $50. It sold in about four hours. So it's that kind of stuff, um, you know, the, the stuff that's a little more valuable. Anything that, that I put up that's uh, – and, and I'm just pricing it based off what other cartridges have sold for. And um, But anything that's more than 5 or $10, that stuff sells uh, really, really quickly. So – and I don't – feel bad about it i i've sold things in the past like when i sold my arcade games it tore me up i hated it you know it was because i didn't have space i didn't have room i moved to a house where i didn't have room for 30 arcade games which would be most houses right but yeah i, I had a lot of bad feelings about that a lot of mixed feelings and and still to this day there are i have regrets about selling some of those arcade games but i don't feel that way about these nes games like i feel like you know, it was something I got into. It was something I bought. I displayed them. I've played them. You know, but, but what's really weird is like when I pick them up, you know what? There's a stack next to me. And um, I'm going to remove this. But like when I just grab random game off the top here. Uh, this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Obviously, I know who they are. But this game has no nostalgic uh, factor to me. I never played this. Um, you know... Uh, this is Othello. <laughs> I feel like I can live without the uh, NES version of Othello, you know, right there's Super Pitfall. So, um, and again, if if I ever decide like, man, I I just can't live another day without playing Super Pitfall, then I'll turn on the Mister and I'll play it, you know, or all or the Raspberry Pi or, or I, I I guarantee I have half a dozen ways to play Super or uh, regular Nintendo games in this house. So it's not. Um, a matter of, uh, you know, not ever playing them again. It's just a matter of, I don't, uh, for this particular console or generation, I just don't have that need, uh, to go get a piece of plastic and put it in and, and play that game. Now, what, what's ironic, I suppose, about that is that I, right next to that tub, I have a tub full of Atari 2600 cartridges, and I don't think I could sell those. Um, you know, a lot of those are the ones I had as a kid, and, um, and I, I don't play those either. Um, but I, I, you know, I have a Harmony cartridge for the Atari 2600, which is a, you know, a flash ROM type cart. But, uh, I don't know that, you know, that has the nostalgic attachment to me where the NAS games don't. When I look at these, I just, I think about that one weekend of buying them all and sitting on them, you know? So anyway, I will tell you that the highest, uh, selling game that I have is this rare, game uh and the label on it just says supporters and when you plug it in it fires up and a list of names start scrolling across the screen those names include alan hudgens armadon restel carrie clanton chris folds christopher warren cal bird boy dan paradroid heavey darren folds dave zilly david chambers david hearn david modelak Eric Strainisi, Gabriel De Janeiro, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, Boar's Head Tavern BBS, John Morrison, John Bodokar Schaller, 
John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Ellie, Matt Hill, Matt Nicholson, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scott Von Drasek, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, Steve Sharippa, The Slow Norris, Vintage Volts, Zeke Pabsky, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. I wish I had a cartridge that did that. I wish I had a cartridge I could plug in and just see all my friends' names on there. I don't have that cartridge, uh, but those are the people that support me on Patreon. So, uh, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, don't forget that all uh, Patreon supporters get behind-the-scene blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. If you don't want to support the show on Patreon, but do want to support the show in some other way, you can always share links to the show on social media and like and review the show on iTunes. If you have feedback about this or any other episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Also, don't forget that all Patreon supporters get access to the Amigos Discord server, home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the TeamSpeak Irregulars. Gosh, that was just enough time for these notes to have loaded through 300 bond on my modem, so let's get started with this week's episode, Modems. Last month, we had an outage here at my house. All of a sudden, the cable modem went offline. I came into the network closet and looked, and the cable modem was just blinking on and off. It couldn't connect to anything. Of course, everyone came to me in the house. It can't get online. I said, well, cable modem's off. You just have to find something else to do. So I came in here and sat down on my computer immediately opened up a web browser and it just sat there, blank screen. <laughs> oh yeah, no internet. So then I said, well, maybe I'll play a game. So I opened Steam and I started looking through things and it's not working and I realized, oh yeah, no internet. But you know what? Maybe I'll work on the podcast. So I opened Google Docs. I tried to get to one of my docs. No internet. <laughs> It's kind of like when you, if you've ever had your power go out and then you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light. It's just habit. It's just instinct now. It's dark. So how do we solve that problem? We turn on a light switch. What do we do with a computer? When we sit down to a computer, we get online and we don't dial up. We don't do anything. We're just, your computer is instantly online. And if you are of a certain age, that's how computers have always been for you. But it was definitely not that way when I started 
with personal computers. Now, I've mentioned before on the show, my first home computer was a TRS-80 Model 3, which my dad purchased in 1980 when I was six years old, just about to turn seven. We owned that computer for two years, and we never had a modem for it. Uh, We had a neighbor who had a TRS-80 Model 1, and he had an acoustic modem. You've probably never used an acoustic modem. Uh, Some of you may have, but most of you may have seen one on television. And The acoustic modems were the really old-school modems where you would uh, dial a phone number with your phone, and then you would take the receiver and place it down onto the cups, the acoustic coupler, uh, and place it uh, face down. And literally, the audio (laughs) from the phone would be playing into a microphone and a speaker. And so I never used a modem. And I don't know that I even had a concept of what a modem was for at that point, but I do remember seeing that sitting on his desk. Um, But what's interesting now is that if you have a problem with something, if you can't figure out how to do something on your computer, you go right to Google. That's what I do. I have programmed scripts or written scripts in languages that I really don't know. I have two monitors. Actually, I have three monitors on this computer, and I'll open Google on one window and sit there and Google commands. How do I do this? How do I open a file? How do I write to a log file? How do I sort things? Even though I don't really understand how the language works, you can sit there and basically Google every step of the way uh, to write a script, you know? So that wasn't how things were (laughs) in the beginning. When we had our TRS-80, it was like our computer was an island. Like you brought it home and it didn't connect to any other computer. It didn't connect to anything in the world. It just sat there on our desk in our living room and played whatever games that we bought or, or got copies of on cassette tapes. And that was it. There was no downloading games or uploading games or getting online for help or figuring out how to do things. My dad had a couple of books that came with uh, the TRS-80 Model 3 that he got from Radio Shack. And when he couldn't figure out how to do something, he'd pull these books down off the shelf and sit there and read through books and flip through and try to figure out how to do things. And when he couldn't figure it out from a book, he would go by Radio Shack the next day after work and stop in and talk to a salesman and try to figure things out. So it was a, a really different time. And one of the things I remember seeing a lot at that time was my dad on the phone talking to his friend who also had a computer. So they would both be on their computers. And I don't remember if they were programming or, you know, trying to play, sometimes playing text games and they would both be playing at the same time, uh, you know, his his friend at his house and my dad at, at our house, but they would be on the phone comparing notes. So it wasn't like, there was no chatting. There was no, not like they were on IRC or Discord or Slack or anything like that. They were just literally chatting over the phone while they were working on the computer. So very, very different time uh, back then. Now, in 1982, my dad sold the TRS-80 Model 3 and got our Franklin Ace 1000, which is the uh, Apple II compatible computer that we owned. I think when he bought it, it came with a 300 baud modem. Now, it might have been some sort of package deal or something like that. I don't think it was 1200. I think it was just uh, 300 in the beginning. 
I've talked about, uh, you know, when you went online, not everybody um, had an alias. Like there were BBSs that didn't. I don't not I don't want to say didn't support it, but it was just a different group of people. Like it would be adults wanting to talk about computers, and so you weren't going to find you know the flying frog or whatever pirate Joe. It would be like you know Joe Smith, David, whoever you know. Uh, and so I uh, had picked an alias. My dad had had uh, picked his alias. He was the the shadow. And I was like, well, I need an alias, you know. And so we had the Franklin Ace 1000. And so I was like, well, I won't be Robbie O'Hara. I'll be Robbie Franklin. <laughs> and so that was my alias for, um, oh, you know, a year or two, I guess, until Cloak and Dagger came out. And then I saw the movie Cloak and Dagger. And I was like, this Jack Flack guy is pretty awesome. So I don't think I'll be Robbie Franklin anymore. I think I'll be Jack Flack. And so that was kind of how that happened. But uh, um, so one of the things I remember on the Apple is trading software with people, but not through a BBS. You would just talk like there was a kid at my school and I was like, hey, I can send you a game. And so he dialed uh like I set our modem to answer. He set his modem to dial and we just had regular uh, terminal software. And then once we were connected, there was no BBS. It was just our two computers were connected and you could chat. You would say, hello, Joe. And then you would wait five minutes and then it would say H E L L O space. <laughs> R P backspace <laughs> O. I remember chatting with people like on uh, BBSs, and people would interrupt you if you were typing so slow. Uh, they would just like start hitting enter, and then they would start typing because they would they like you know it was the point like they knew what you were saying, and they were tired of watching you type so slowly. Um, but yeah, so I do remember uh, connecting with uh, people. Now it wasn't normally people from school because it was a lot easier to copy games onto a floppy disk and then take it to school the next day and just give it to somebody. But if it was uh, you know a friend or somebody that you knew online or something, it, you could just connect with the modem and, and send files back and forth. Um, I don't remember doing that a lot, but it but definitely happened, you know, um, and. Uh, you know, it was on the Apple II that I started calling BBSs, you know. And there was one thing, uh, if, if you've ever, on the, the Commodore 64, if you connect to a Commodore 64 BBS and you're both running Petsky graphics uh, and, and it recognizes that, then upper and lower case is correct and everything works. But if you swap into an ASCII terminal, it swaps all the cases. So lowercase becomes uppercase and vice versa. And, you know, so based on some of those things, you could tell what kind of computer somebody had. So you would go to a BBS and everything would be in capital letters and, and you would recognize, oh, that's a, you know, they have an old Apple or something like that. Like they don't have upper and lower case or, or whatever. And, and, um, uh, later in later years, uh, it was very noticeable because Commodore 64 people only had 60 or uh, 40 columns. 
And so you would call an 80 call on BBS and everything wouldn't look quite right. And uh, so uh, that was kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say the, the beginnings of different computer owners, uh, you know, fighting <laughs> amongst one another. But uh, but definitely you, you tended to stick to, or at least I did stick to the kind of, you know, BBSs that run your same kind of uh, computer. Also, that's how you were going to get software. So if I was calling with my Apple and I called a PC BBS, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to download any games, you know. Um, my dad got a PC in 1983. He got an IBM XT and he and his friend set up a BBS called PCX BBS. Now, according to my dad, that was the first IBM run BBS in Oklahoma City. I don't have any way to prove that, and I can't find anything that um, proves that wrong. Uh, the part of the problem is that it ran on software, I believe, called PC Express. Uh, and PCX is too common of a term to Google. So I can't find, you know, any historical stuff that says, oh, this was the first uh, uh, BBS. There there was a, a Radio Shack BBS that was local to us, but it ran off of a, a TRS-80. So um, we got a, an XT pretty early on. And, and so um, uh, if nothing else, my dad and his friend were not aware and never found any other IBM BBSs that were older than the one that they put up, you know. Now, I do remember that uh, uh, one of the modems, I mean, the first modem that my dad got was not uh, Hayes brand. And Hayes was kind of the most, uh, it was like the standard, you know, back then. And in, in, if you've ever typed like ATDT, uh, you know, all those, those are Hayes commands, right? And so my dad came up with a, a, a saying, <laughs> and he said, there's uh, two types of modems in the world. There's Hayes and there's Hayes compatible. But the problem was is that Hayes-compatible modems weren't always exactly Hayes-compatible. And again, it wasn't like you could just get online and find the answers, especially when the only thing that you had <laughs> or the device that you needed to get online wasn't working. So you would sit there and read these manuals and try to get things to work, you know. And like I remember later on the Commodore 64 having a off-brand modem and the... Hayes commands were slightly different. So I got a terminal program and if the Hayes commands were built in and you couldn't modify them, then it wouldn't work with that modem. It was terrible. So, uh, crime of the century. So you had to, uh, spend time figuring this stuff out, you know, and it really weeded people out. That's, uh, one of the things that I, I feel like you know, I mean, not to say that there weren't uh, annoying people that modemed and stuff, but there weren't a lot of dumb people <laughs> because it took a lot of work. It wasn't like something that just, you're like, whoops, I accidentally started modeming. Was, no, you had to go buy a modem and you had to get the software and figure out it was work, you know. And so the people that were, were calling BBSs were people that were really into computers, you know. It just, especially in the early days, I would say, there there just weren't a lot of casual modem users, you know? Um, so then my dad got the IBM PC junior and then he had two computers and his friend had been running PCX at his house. So my dad said, well, now that I have two PCs, uh, I'm going to set up a BBS on, on one of our PCs. And so that became, uh, the backdoor 
BBS, which he named after the uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival song, Looking Out My Back Door. And uh, I remember when you uh, logged off, it had lyrics from the song, and there was the there's a part for the song about um, giants doing cartwheels and uh, statues wearing high heels. And he had, like, drawn an ASCII picture of a, this big giant doing a uh, cartwheel. <laughs> I still remember that. And, um, that the backdoor BBS ran at our house for, um, a, you know, several years. And, you know, one of the things you could do when you called a BBS was you could chat with the sysop. And so maybe you wanted extra access or you just wanted to chat with somebody or whatever. And so people would chat, but my dad worked evenings. He wasn't home. And so I would go answer and I'd be like, well, the shadow's not here, but this is Robbie Franklin or this is Jack Flack, you know? And, uh, and the worst was when, uh, especially when you were on the other end of it, when you were calling a BBS and the sysop would just break in and start chatting with you. And you're like, uh, oh, yeah, I really wasn't wanting a conversation. I wanted to, you know, download some games or something. Uh, so I try not to do that too much. I'm sure I probably got in trouble for doing it <laughs> a little bit too much, but, uh, um, but yeah, so we ran that BBS at our house for a while. And, uh, of course running a BBS required a dedicated phone line. There were some BBSs that had limited hours and those never seemed to be very successful. Like you would see BBSs that would say, you know, we're online from 10 PM to 6 AM well, then people would call during the day and all that, and people's parents would be finally like, I'm, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> so um, uh, most BBSs were 24 hours and people just got a second phone line. Um, in fact, our house had three phone lines because uh, we had the main phone line, which everybody called to chat on. And then my dad had a second phone line just for his BBS. And then eventually my sister and I got our own phone line, which I used uh, for modeming. And it, we had to split the phone an hour at a time. So we would say, okay, we get home from school. And then I would say, I get it from four to five. You get it from five to six. I get it from six to seven, so on and so forth. And uh, so I would have to break my modeming up into hour-long sessions <laughs> while I was uh, sharing time with my sister. And then I got the phone after 10 o'clock. We were supposed to go to bed, and I could get online and start things uh, downloading and just let it run. Now, on the Commodore 64, <clears throat> um, Commodore, of course, Commodore has their little numbers for everything, right? Like the disk drives, we have our 1541, later we have the 1571, 1581, uh, we had numbers for monitors, we had numbers for everything. And so the uh, Commodore modem, the 300 baud modem was a 1650 and uh, the 1200 baud modem was a 1670. Now, there was a 1660, and I don't remember what the deal with it was. Um, I think it didn't have a, a speaker or a way to dial, so you had to dial from a phone and do, but I don't know what it was. But I, I never knew anybody with a 1660. I mean, you can look them up and they were out there, but they were not popular. Um, by and large, People either had a 1650, which was the 300 baud, or a 1670, which was the 1200 baud. Now, there was another company called Volks, and they made a 6420 and a 6470, which was their 300 and 1200 baud modem. And so I got a Volks 6420, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure came from Target. I think we went to Target and bought it right off the shelf. 
And that was the modem that just didn't quite work right with all the different software. Like I wanted to use a uh, phone man <laughs> because everybody had to have the hacking term to call BBSs, you know, and it just, it didn't work right, you know? And so I eventually got rid of it and got the uh, 1650. And then I talked about on the uh, boss BBS episode that uh, the boss was able to uh, acquire a 1670 modem. And the thing was, you know, 300 baud versus 1200 baud, there was a huge difference. I mean, 1200 baud, obviously four times faster, but uh, where that, that difference really came into play was if you were uploading and downloading software. And so uh, the boss BBS was an instance where, you know, he basically said, hey, I could get you a good deal on this modem. And, you know, in return, I was going to be able to upload games faster to his BBS than I was able to. Uh, there were BBSs, uh, even back then, that would have different access levels for 300 baud versus 1200 baud. Like, if you called it 300 baud, you might get less time on the BBS. Some some BBSs wouldn't allow you to um, transfer files if you were 300 baud. You were only allowed to go to the message bases. Uh, 300 baud was just really, really slow at the time. It's hard to it's really hard to imagine. I believe I read that um, the, the slowest cable modems when they first came out were um, 20 times faster than 56K, which is 56,000 baud. So just imagine that and then think about 300 baud. I mean, it was, it was just painful. I, I believe I recall that downloading um, a full side of, of a disk at 300 baud took well over an hour, which we're talking 180 K. Um, because uh, I'm pretty sure that I could get, uh, no, I bet it might've been two hours. <laughs> I'm kind of going off really old fuzzy memories here, but I do have a, a point of reference that I, I had a story and I remember that I was downloading uh, at 1200 baud, uh, a full disc and it took about half an hour. And I remember that because it was a long distance phone call. I was watching the clock very closely. So a fourth of that or four times slower would be two hours. So regardless, you really didn't want to be uploading and downloading a lot of stuff at 300 baud and, and 1200 baud became the norm pretty quickly. Now the problem with the Commodore 64 was that, uh, it couldn't handle a 2400 baud modem natively, but you could run 2400 baud if you added an RS-232 port, which I eventually did. So I bought um, I, a friend of mine that I was uh, doing trading software with and stuff came up with a uh, an RS-232 port that connected to the Commodore 64 and a 2400 baud modem and both of those together cost me $300 and I was 14, 15 when I got that. I mean, that was a lot of money. I think that was like birthday and maybe some other money that I had all combined to get that. That was a really big purchase. But um, when you got 2400 baud, that was king of the world. Then you could actually start, you know, really uploading and downloading stuff and not, you know, I mean, now you're talking about 
10 minutes or, you know, versus, or 15 minutes versus half an hour for a, a game or something like that. So if you're going to call long distance or anything like that, 2400 baud was, was really a must, you know. And like I said, I had that combined with uh, a phone line that I shared with my sister. Now, because we shared the phone line, I didn't want to run a BBS or couldn't run a BBS. And also back then, you have to remember that there was no multitasking. Like you couldn't, you know, run a BBS and then also play games in a different window. There was no window. So uh, if you ran a BBS, as long as that BBS was up, that was all your computer did. It was just dedicated. So there there was just, uh, to me, I would rather call other people's BBSs than uh, tie my computer up 24-7 running that, you know. But I, I remember... It's funny because when I say the model numbers, um, especially on the Commodore ones, because those were mine, but when I say, you know, the Volk 6420, or when I say the Commodore 1670, or even the uh, 2400 baud modem, I can visualize what each one of those looked like. Like I, because they were all, of course, Commodore modems were all external also, right? So I can remember like holding them. I remember what they looked like, what they felt like, you know, they were all um, plugged into the back and, and the whole time you were using them, you could see them. They were, they were not particularly small. And that's um, something that kind of has gone away over time. But, um, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, uh, you know, nothing really changed for me on the modem stuff from 19, 19- Gosh, I probably got that 2400 baud modem around 1987, maybe somewhere around there. 19, yeah, 1987, 1988. And uh, I didn't get my first PC. Now, my dad had PCs, but I didn't get my own first PC until um, the Christmas of 1993. And that was the computer that my wife uh, helped me fund. She had basically took a bunch of her college funds and gave me money. And I had a friend that worked at a computer store that got me a discount. And so between all these things, I was able to, to build a PC. And uh, one of the things that my friend was able to hook me up with was a internal 9,600 baud modem. And so I had, uh, uh, you know, once again, I was back online, but it had been a, a, a pretty big gap. You know, I, I kind of quit calling, uh, Commodore BBSs when I you know, started college. And so there'd been two or three years where I hadn't really been calling any BBSs. Um, and, and when I got, when I built this computer, I was living in a town, I was living in Weatherford, Oklahoma, which was an hour away from Oklahoma city, an hour away, hours drive, uh, from where I had grown up. And so from Weatherford, I could call, uh, Oklahoma city, but you couldn't call, Weatherford from Oklahoma City. So you could only call one way. If you called the other way, it was long distance. Uh, so because you were calling out of the metro, I guess it was long distance, but you could dial into the metro for free. So I could call BBSs, but nobody nobody could call me. So I couldn't, uh, again, I was kind of stuck. I couldn't run a, a BBS or anything like that. But I had 9,600 baud uh, for a while, and then around the time I did a big jump, around the time that the internet and everything came about, uh, 
like that transition, you know, because I called BBSs for like two years and then I started getting on uh, my first internet access and I got a 28.8 modem and uh, gosh, I just remember how fast, <laughs> it just seemed so fast. I remember on the Commodore, the difference between 1200 baud and 2400 baud was at 1200 baud, I could read faster than the text came up on the screen. So I was always waiting for it to write text. I could read faster than it would display. But at 2400 baud, it would go faster than I could read. So that was a kind of this discerning line. But at 288, uh, it would just throw text up on the screen and, and you would be like, well, why does anybody need anything faster than this? <laughs> Not me, I don't. Um, and I remember... Uh, Mortal Kombat came out and it was, uh, it might've been Mortal Kombat two, but whichever one it was, it was eight floppy disks and I had found it, uh, somewhere online to download and each disc was taking me about 15 minutes. And I remember thinking, uh, that was, uh, you know, I was getting 1.4 meg <laughs> and before, you know, at 15 minutes, I was only getting like 180 K. So I just felt like it was so much super faster, you know, but, um, um, yeah, it, it 20, you had to really have 28, eight, uh, it, it, it's like everything else, right? Like when 14, four came out, everybody was like, Oh, 9,600. So slow. Then when 28, eight came out, everybody said, Oh, 14, four is so slow. You know, uh, I had this one memory. I, there was a guy that I knew, uh, he wasn't a friend of mine, but he was an acquaintance of mine when I was working at Best Buy. And he asked me if we had, um, you know, modems and stuff. And I said, we did. And he came to Best Buy while I was working at Best Buy. And he was, he was, uh, came and asked for me and I was on the computer aisle and, and he was asking me about modems, and then he said something like, hey, scoot over or something. And I was like, what? And I scooted over, and he kind of reached in, and I watched him rip open a box <laughs> and basically pull a modem out of a box and put it into his jacket. And I was just dumbfounded. I was, I had no idea what to say. And the reason he'd had me scoot over was because I was blocking the camera. So I was, he was kind of using me as like a human shield, you know? And, um, I never said anything to anybody about that, but I, and then I hid the, I hid the, um, the package because I thought, well, now if anybody looks at the camera, which later I found out that's not really how it works. It, <laughs> not back then. That's not how it worked. Um, but I thought if there's camera and they're going to see me standing here, they're going to ask, you know, if I had a part of this. And so I was, I was really scared about that at the time. I was real kind of terrified about it, but, um, you know, I, I don't know that everybody was desperate, that desperate to, uh, get a faster modem, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely remember that happening. It was a, a weird event. Um, everybody, when people started going to 56 K, uh, I didn't. I didn't upgrade for a long time, which is kind of weird if you think about it, because that was really my whole world was transferring software in a, a fast, <laughs> as fast as I could. So you would have thought I would have upgraded, but for some reason I didn't. And I remember there was a, um, a friend of mine who got a 56K modem and he gave me his 33.6 modem, which was a, another speed. 
So, and it was the first external modem that I owned. All the other modems had been on uh, the PC. All the other modems had been internal. Uh, but this was the first external one that I got. And, uh, um, so, you know, it, it hooked up to the back of your PC and you ran a, a big serial cable or parallel. I guess it's a serial cable, but it's a 25 pin. Uh, and you, you ran it up to your modem and you would have your little flashing lights. I always liked to watch those lights. It was just kind of a reminder of the data was transferring and you could see lights flashing and stuff, especially when you were downloading that I kind of missed that. Um, but I remember uh, on that modem, I set up. Uh, internet connection sharing, which is a feature built into Windows, and basically it allows you to, uh, if, if you network multiple computers together, they can all share one connection to the internet. Now, before <laughs> I talk more about that, I want to talk about what accessing the internet was like at that time. Uh, I had dial-up internet. So I, I paid somebody, I don't know what it was, 30, 40 bucks a month, something like that, maybe 30 bucks a month. And they give you a phone number and you called, you used your modem and you called this phone number and then you connected to the internet, right? Um, but they had all these weird, weird rules. Like um, some of them would say like, you only get 40 hours of internet a week or something like that. And then after that, they would cut you off until the next week. Um, then the place that I went to, had unlimited internet, but they would reset all their modem pool at like three in the morning or something like that, maybe four or five in the morning. Um, but what that prevented you from doing was getting online and just staying online all the time uh, because they had a limited amount of people that could dial in. Like you could be paying for internet and try to dial and get a busy signal <laughs> because they only had 30 lines or 40 lines, you know, or something. So, um, so <laughs> I only had one, I mean, I had one computer at the house, right, that had this 33.6 modem, but then I added network cards to my other computers, and I got this hub, at, you know, from the trash somewhere. It was like a 10 megabit hub. It was terrible, and I got some uh, old network cards, and so I all my computers were on the same network. So you could dial up the internet with one computer, which I would do, and then all your computers could access the internet because they're, it's internet connection sharing. So they're connected to you and you're funneling all their traffic out. So I want you to imagine splitting a 33.6 connection by two machines or three machines or something, you know. Um, that was, you know, because my wife wanted to get on the, on the internet as well. So I would be on the internet and she would be on the internet and we're splitting this, this connection. And then if you download it, try to download something, it would kill the other person, you know? Um, but it was, uh, I don't know, just a strange, um, time to think about that and think about this now. Um, you know, the way that we think about the internet today is just being an always online service, Right. But back then, if you wanted to get on the internet, you had to sit down, open up your term program, dial in, beep, boop, 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 you know, and then get a modem uh, connection and then open your browser and do whatever it was, you know. So if you wanted to just, you know, you're watching a movie and you're like, God, what other movie was that guy in? Well, you're not going to go to the other room and dial up and then blah, blah, blah. And go, oh, it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't know Tom Hanks. And then come back and be like, oh, it was Tom Hanks. I mean, that would be like a 10-minute affair, you know? So um, 
so it was very different. You know, it was like, hey, I'm going to get on the internet for two hours and then I'm done. You know, it, it was a small things, and that's that's why those um, small ISPs, you know, they didn't want you to be on the internet twenty four seven. That wasn't really intended to do that. You know, um, at the end of. 96, the summer of 96 is when I moved to Spokane and I took my, uh, so the thing was when I moved to Spokane, uh, which was 1800 miles away from Oklahoma, I moved there and I left my wife behind in Oklahoma because we were selling our house. So she was trying to sell the house. I was driving and I was going to go find an apartment for her to, you know, come across and, and move in with me. And so I only took what I thought was important. I took all my CDs. I took some clothes. Uh, I did not take any personal hygiene products. I did not take any, uh, uh, I didn't take a coat. I didn't take any, you know, any of that stuff, but I did take a bunch of computer equipment. And so when I got there, I didn't take a chair or any furniture. Everything I took, by the way, fit in a Dodge neon. (laughs) So I drove a Dodge neon 1800 miles uh, full of uh, computer equipment and electronics and got there in CDs. So I, I remember when I got there, one of the very first things I did was I hooked up my computer and I was sitting on the floor and I went to a computer store and I got one of the free magazines because in the back of these free magazines, they would be filled with local BBS numbers. And the BBS numbers that were in those kind of magazines were not the kind of BBSs that I normally called. They were the real straight lace, um, you know, no pirated software, no talking about pirated software, blah, blah, blah. But that was the only BBS numbers I could get, you know. And so I got those BBS numbers and then eventually I networked and, uh, you know, but I was going to work and then coming home and sitting on the floor of this apartment, I'm literally like cross-legged on the carpet with a monitor on the floor and this keyboard in my lap. And calling BBSs and trying to make connections and find people in a, a new city, you know, and and um, and this was, I mean, in '96, so I definitely was on the internet, and I may have have Googled, you know, or not Googled. I may have. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Netscape Navigator, but that's not right. But uh, I might have Alta Vistaed. <laughs> Or Yahoo'd some BBS numbers or something. I don't know. Uh, but I remember that, 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 you know, getting that magazine, I do remember going through there and getting BBS numbers out of that, you know. Um, I did eventually get a 56K modem. And then the next thing I remember was um, I got a 56K modem that did uh, voice and fax. And also voicemail was a thing. And you could run software on your computer that would act like an answering machine. It would work. It was like a voicemail box, you know. And I remember when we were living, we were living in a small apartment. I mean, this was definitely, oh, definitely less than a thousand square foot. I don't know how big it was. It was two small bedrooms. Uh, I mean, pretty small bedrooms. And, uh. I brought in this junky old computer and I set it up on the bar in the kitchen because that's where the phone line connection was. 
And I set up all this software and, and my wife came home and I was like, Hey, we got a voicemail thing now. And I got this computer. She was like, get move that. We can't, <laughs> you can't tie up the entire kitchen counter with a big giant 386, you know, running a voicemail software. But, uh, but I do remember that, you know, as modems progressed, uh, them adding facts. And that seemed like a really big thing at the time. Like, wow, now I can send a fax from my computer. And I don't think I ever sent a fax. I might have applied for a job and had to fax a resume one time or something, but it wasn't a feature I used a lot. And then the voice mailbox thing was something I used even less. But after that was um, wind modems. That was like a thing that I remember for a while, which uh, wind modems didn't have all the hardware built onto the actual modem, whether it was internal or external wind modems. All the ones I had were internal. Uh, but you had to, I think you had to run Windows, and it would do some of the modem processing and stuff. I don't really understand everything what it did. But um, but I, basically what I do remember is that it used more of your CPU processing than just a, a normal modem because your computer was was handling part of the uh, translation of data. But, um, you know, like I said, when I think of a 56K modem, I there's nothing that comes to mind. I mean, I just think of a little green card with a metal thing on the back that eventually plugged into my computer. I don't have a personal connection to those like I do with the older modems that I had. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I mean, they just seem more generic, you know, and then eventually modems started being built into your motherboard. You just, it would be built in, you know, you just have a port on the motherboard and you go, and then you quit using them all of a sudden, you know, I, and I can tell you when I quit using <laughs> modems was, uh, August 1st, 1999. And the reason I can tell you that date is because, uh, I moved back from Spokane in the spring of 1998. I stayed with my dad for uh, 30 days until we could close on a house. And um, I think, I'm trying to think of during that time I did, or maybe it was later, but he got a cable modem. And I was not familiar with the technology at the time. And he showed me, and it was so unbelievable fast. I mean, it was so, so fast compared to dial-up. And the thing was, it was always on. It was always on. You were always connected. So when you would turn on your computer or whatever, you could just open uh, you know, your browser and you were connected. And And I was like, this is... The future, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why I never saw that coming from dial up the leap from dial up to cable modem, but I would call, uh, we had uh, Cox cable, still have Cox cable and, uh, the <laughs> modem service was outsourced to roadrunner and they used the roadrunner from the cartoon. And I would call them and be like, when is this available in my area? Well, we don't know, you know, and I would just call and call. And they finally said, uh, it's coming to your area in August of 1999. And I said, well, I would like to schedule an install date. And they said, well, that's months away. And I said, I would like to schedule an install date for August 1st, 1999. And they said, okay, well, let's find when we can schedule. When are you be available? I was like, when can the guy get here? 
and it, and you know it was like the first appointment of the day was eight o'clock. So I was the first guy in my area, my service area, to have a cable modem. I scheduled off work for that day, and uh, I'm you know met the guy at the door with my tongue hanging out, panting, you know, and uh, that's when I got a cable modem. And I believe the service that I got at that time was 18 megabit down and 3 megabit up. Now, I will tell you, cable modems and the way that cable is set up today, and most home broadband is is this way, is that there's a differentiation between uh, home service and business service. So for a while, I had a business cable modem account because the difference was they didn't uh, block any of the ports. So I was able to run a web server from my house. And I actually, in the early days of doing my podcast, I hosted everything because, um, you know, web hosting you didn't get unlimited data. You didn't get unlimited space. And so at my house, I did get those. But what would happen is I would post a podcast episode and all of a sudden 500 people would connect to my house and it would kill the internet connection for the whole house as people were trying to download it, you know. But uh, um, I remember having getting my IP address and I could go to work and if you're familiar with, um, you know, just basic networking, like where you can unk to a, another machine where you put backslash, backslash, and an IP address, and then C dollar sign, you know, to look at the root, I could do that from work to my house with no authentication. <laughs> I could literally access my computer as if it was on my work's network. And every IP address was routable. And so, um, like I remember at work, we would, we would sit there and go through IP addresses and then just find random people's computers at their house and you could see everything on their computer. It was crazy. And what I would do is, um, the thing was, is that you could, uh, unshare your drive or you could, uh, make your drive shareable only to local admin or something like that. And if they hadn't done that, you could see everything on their computer. And so I would map to people's printers and I would send a print job to their house that would say, Hey, I'm connected to your computer. Here's how to fix it. And I would put the instructions. I was like the Robin hood of, (laughs) of network sharing, you know, but uh, literally you could just go through the range of IP addresses and connect to people's machines, which is a really scary thought if you think about it now, you know, um, because you could have deleted people's files. You could see all their, oh, just <laughs> crazy, crazy time, you know. But um, cable modems have done nothing but get faster. I When we, uh, I remember I had I upgraded to a, a a package that was a hundred meg down. And I, th- I thought I was in hogs heaven. And then before we moved uh, to the last house was uh, 300 meg down. And uh, now I get um, gigabit. I get a thousand megabit, you know, and, and it's, uh, um, it's funny because every now and then I'll run the speed test and I'm like, I'm only getting 700 megabit. What's going on around here? <laughs> you know, which compare that to, Gosh, where where we came from, right? Three hundred baud, twelve hundred baud, uh, all those stuff. I did want to 
talk about two modems, two different modems that I picked up over the years that I have that I never used. Um, but one was, um, and sadly, I got rid of this. I really should have kept this. I got it at a thrift store one time, and it is a Codex MX twenty four hundred baud modem. This thing was the size of a desktop computer, not a tower, but like the kind of computers, like the pizza box style that the monitor would sit on top of. I, I found this online. It was 17 inches deep, 14 inches wide, and four inches tall. So think about that being a modem. Uh, the back of it has a gigantic heat sink coming off the back. The one that I had had a government barcode on the front. Obviously, it's something that uh, some agency got rid of at some point. On the back, there's connections for, uh, it says dial line, and then one says telephone. Uh, or just says dial, I think, and then telephone. And then there's two 25-pin uh, ports one says DTE one and the other one says options. And then there's at the bottom underneath it has the logo. It says codex MX 2400. And then it says copyright 1979. So this is a 2400 baud modem from 1979. So think about how much that technology changed, uh, in a pretty short amount of time, right? For this thing to be, you know, I mean, the size of a large pizza box, but four inches. So it's like, imagine three large pizza boxes sitting on top of each other. That's about the, the size of this thing. Uh, and whenever I find something like this from a thrift store that has a price on it, I always leave the price on it. And so the whole time I had it right on top of it, it's a, it was a blue color, not a deep blue. Um, and then it's kind of a textured feel, almost like it was sprayed on, you know. And then written on top of that, it says 99 cents, <laughs> which is what I paid for it. And, uh, you know, I I got rid of it at some point when I was downsizing some stuff. And I think eh, I could have kept it, but I was always just moving it out of the way. I would set it here and set it there. You know, I never plugged it in or turned it on or did anything like that with it. It was one of the things we picked up that I passed on. Uh, but the other modem that I have is an acoustic 300 baud modem. And there's no brand on this thing. It's a, uh, just says 300 baud modem. There's again, a 20, uh, 25 pin port on the backside. Um, it has the, the couplers. So you could set a phone down in there, you know, uh, again, I've never used this modem. Um, but, uh, I got it at a computer show and I, I think I paid $3 for it and I knew that I would never use it, but I love it. I love, I used to have it sitting on my desk for a long time and my desk is just so full of stuff that I don't have it sitting here. But, uh, but man, did modems have personality back then? You know, I mean, when you see this thing, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do some computing on this modem. <laughs> And, you know, the when you got to um, PCI modems or whatever, uh, internal modem cards, like they just didn't have that personality. But, you know, at work, we had US Robotics external modems and we had, um, I think, Haze. Because the Haze ones were gray, like a Haze smart modem, it would be gray. And then the other ones, US Robotics, were white. And they would have a colored stripe depending on the speed. So you could glance at it and see what speed it was, you know. But, um, yeah, modems have uh, come a long way. And I want to wrap things up with talking about 
the newest modem that I got. Now, if you listen to Sprite Castle, my other show, you know that uh, Retro Rewind, which is a uh, a business that's located in Canada that sells uh, hardware for and accessories for vintage, uh, well, for Commodore computers. They have stuff for Commodore 64, Commodore 128. Um, they have stuff for Commodore 16 and Plus 4, and they've got a lot of stuff uh, for the Amiga. I know they just picked up the new... Um, Amiga OS and, and there's some other stuff. So they're, they're really big in the Amiga stuff, but, uh, but they've got a lot of cool Commodore 64 stuff and they started sponsoring my uh, other podcast, Sprite Castle. And part of that was, uh, he said he would send me some of their products for me to test out and that I could talk about. And one of the things that he sent me is their Commodore 64 Wi-Fi modem. So if you're not familiar with what's going on in the current day with modems, that might be a lot to take in. Uh, but this is literally a AT or a Hayes compatible modem uh, that will connect to your Wi-Fi router, uh, you know, your modern router. And on a real Commodore 64, you can still connect to BBSs. Now, most BBSs for uh, retro computers like the Commodore and and uh, there's some other systems, but most a lot there's a lot of Commodore. There's a few uh, Atari out there, and then there's a lot of PC and and Linux based ones. But um, they have moved to the internet, so now instead of dialing an actual phone number, basically what you do is Telnet into them, and you can do it from your PC. And I've called BBSs. Uh, <laughs> It might not be the right terminology to say call, uh, but I've connected to BBSs, telnetted to BBSs through my PC, and it's fun, but it's not authentic. It doesn't feel like the old days. It just feels like, <sighs> that's a good way to explain it. It's like watching the Goldbergs, where you go, yeah, it's it's a thing about the 80s, but we all know that it's made now. You know, it's not tricking you. And so you could telnet into a BBS from your PC and it's in a little window and you go, Oh yeah, that's cool. But it doesn't feel like that. You know that you're on a modern PC just doing something old on it. Right. But this, uh, Wi-Fi modem, you can plug into the Commodore 64 into the same port that my modem plugged into, you know, 30 years ago. And they've just updated the terminal software. So instead of, you know, dialing a phone number, you can put in a, a web address and put the port in. So you can put, um, gosh, let me get the address for, um, the, uh, boar's head PBS because he's, uh, my newest Patreon supporter, uh, boar's head. That, so that the address to the, um, boar's head tavern. Now you could do this through regular telnet access, but it wouldn't look good because it's built on Commodore 64 graphics and Commodore 64 BBS software. So you really need uh Commodore 64 term program to get the most out of this. But, um, but the address for uh boar's head BBS is BYOB dot hop dot org. And then the port is 64 128. So with this Wi-Fi modem from retro rewind, Instead of dialing, you know, area code 405, 123, 4567, you literally type ATDT, which was, you know, uh, attention, how we say attention dial tone. Uh, and then before you would put a phone number, but you could type ATDT and then byob.hop2.org colon 64128. And uh, 
sometimes I, I tried doing it on the, the uh, Mr. first and the Mr. was having a lot of modem issues. So this modem uh, arrived at a great time. So I've still got my 64 plugged in and, uh, you know, use this modem and you do that. And then the software, I guess this is with a little uh, a nod and a wink, plays the sounds that it's dialing. You hear a little dial tone and it goes boop, 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 boop. Then you hear the modem sounds. Well, of course, that's all pretend. It's not really doing that. You're telling that again. But all of a sudden you connect. It says hit backspace, which is the way that uh, a lot of BBSs determine what computer you're connecting from. And immediately it starts displaying Commodore graphics and you have to apply for an account. You get an account and, and you get to go to the message boards and post and you can upload and download games. Anything that you could do on an old BBS, you can do again. I have had so much fun. And by the way, uh, you know, I, I am a uh, supporter of, uh, I should just mention now, uh, that you could get these on Retro Rewind, uh, their website, which is RetroRewind.ca. But if you add a forward slash and then use the word Sprite Castle, you'll get a 10% discount. And again, I don't want this to sound like a commercial. It's just, um, I had a different Wi-Fi modem on my uh, C64 a couple of years ago, and it was such a pain to get to work. I would try to, first of all, it didn't support any modern encryption. Uh, so you couldn't use like, like I have WPA or had WPA two. Uh, I think back then I probably had WPA. Um, and you had to turn all that off to get it to connect because it, it wasn't advanced enough to understand the encryption. Well, this thing handles, uh, I think even past WPA two, I think it handles either web keys. It also supports, um, that, uh, whatever that I never use that WPS is that the connection sharing thing that you can press a button on your router and it'll find a device. So you could do that, but, um, uh, but it supports all those things. So you don't got to go mess with your router. It just automatically works. And then you just got to get the right software. And if you have questions about that, if you're on the Patreon, you can ask there, if you're not send me an email and I'll, I'll, uh, you know, get you in the right direction, but it is just like the old days. It is, you, you know, there's something about typing on that original Commodore keyboard and looking at that monitor and watching the text go by at whatever speed. I set mine at 2,400 baud. I think it supports up to 9,600, but I don't want it that fast. I want it the way that I remember it, you know? And, um, I mean, so it's kind of, it's funny that it's, that things are full circle, you know, uh, that I started off with modems. And, and again, uh, I dabbled a little bit on the Apple, but really most of my good memories are for modeming on the Commodore 64. And so to be able to do that again uh, on, this, on the Commodore 64 is uh, a lot of fun. So I've had a lot of modems, I had old modems and cable modems and fast modems and slow modems. And now <laughs> I'm back to modeming uh, on the Commodore 64 once again.
wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Again, if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. All Patreons of my show get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me, like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Congratulations! If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about Flack. I'll see you here next time. Is it